BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you broadcasting live from Portland. And the hearings for the Supreme Court nominee, Amy Coney Barrett, are uh, going on. Right now they're on pause. They took a lunch break. But I believe they're going to be back in 20 or 30 minutes. And we will be carrying at least much or some of those hearings live. One of the things that we've learned from previous hearings is that, you know, carrying the Republicans live is often, you know, kind of a waste of time because they're just doing their verbal diarrhea thing. And carrying the Democrats live is sometimes very, very illuminating, you know, in situations like this because they have something to say that largely is not being said. I'll bring you up to date on what's been, you know, said so far, basically. You know, we start out with the opening statements, of course, and and what's interesting is the Republicans keep emphasizing the fact that Amy Coney Barrett grew up in this very small 1,700-member hardcore Christian handmade cult and is Catholic. And they keep yelling and screaming about somebody not liking her or not wanting to vote for her because she's Catholic and because she grew up in this fundamentalist cult and a Catholic cult. And they haven't used the word cult, but, you know, they've they've just danced right up to the edge of it, the Republicans. The Democrats have yet to bring the topic up. So it's like the Republicans are like, how how dare they? And in part, they, they keep pointing back to Barack Obama had appointed an African-American woman to be on the court, to be on the Supreme Court. And by the way, I write about this this morning over on Common Dreams and on BuzzFlash.com in my rant for the day, as it were. And I mean, it's pretty straightforward stuff. A week or so ago, Donald Trump was saying, Obama left me 128 judges. Can you believe that? 128 judges. And so I just filled those slots. Well, it was actually 108, and Obama didn't leave them. The last two years of the court, they were blocked by Mitch McConnell. And President Obama had nominated for the Seventh Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals Myra Shelby, who is a brilliant black attorney, highly qualified, ABA, American Bar Association recommended, 
for a seat on the Seventh Circuit Court. And Mitch McConnell blocked that for over a year so that when Trump got sworn in, one of the first things McConnell did was put Amy Coney Barrett in that seat. So she would be queued up. Now, she wasn't a judge before this, right? So she was a lawyer, a lawyer who was running around giving speeches about how the 14th Amendment is illegitimate. She said this twice now. And that's because when the 13th, 14th and 15th Amendments were passed in the early 1870s, they were passed in a Congress that didn't have any Confederates in it because the states were undergoing, the Confederate states were undergoing reconstruction. They were rewriting their constitutions to strip slavery out of it and they couldn't vote in the U.S. Congress. They, you know, they were, they were out because they had, they had declared treasonous war against the United States. So anyway, these Southern legislators, ever since the 1870s, have been saying that the 13th Amendment that ended slavery, the 14th Amendment that gave former slaves full access to our legal system, equal protection under the law, and the 15th Amendment, which guaranteed the right of formerly enslaved people to vote, that those three amendments were illegitimate because they were passed through a Congress that had no Confederate representatives in it, and they were ratified by states that did not include the Confederate states. And twice now, Amy Coney Barrett has said illegitimate or possibly illegitimate in describing the 14th Amendment. So, I mean, this is how weird it gets, right? So the Democrats have been pointing out that she criticized John Roberts when he saved the Affordable Care Act. And he did. He was the swing vote for not completely destroying it. And Amy Coney Barrett wrote an op-ed saying, you know, he's wrong. He should have killed off Obamacare. It's unconstitutional. Jeffrey Tubin this morning, he said, let me translate what she said into English. Amy Coney Barrett, in her prepared opening remarks, which were released yesterday afternoon, she says, I clerked for Justice Scalia more than 20 years ago, but the lessons I learned still resonate. His judicial philosophy is mine, too. A judge must apply the law as written. Judges are not policymakers. And Tubin says, let me translate that into English. What that means is that if a state wants to ban abortion, that should be up to the state. That's a policy that the court should not address. In other words, Roe v. Wade should be overturned. If a state wants to ban gay people from getting married to each other, that's a policy issue that the state should be allowed to do, and the court should have nothing to do with it, says Jeffrey Tubin. This is what it means to defer to the policymakers in the states. So here we have a judge who Mitch McConnell is saying, we're going to drop all the business of the Senate to deal with this. We are not going to take up either of the two pieces of legislation that the House has already passed that would give hundreds of dollars a month to unemployed people across the United States to deal with the coronavirus crisis that would give a whole fresh new infusion of cash to the smallest businesses who got screwed in the earlier programs. McConnell says, we're not even going to talk about that. We're not going to hold hearings about that. We're going to hold hearings about getting a right-wing judge who wants to overturn the Affordable Care Act, end your protection against pre-existing conditions, outlaw a woman's right to abortion, and no Democrat has mentioned it yet, but I'm, I'm hoping it will come up, and possibly even blow up the 14th Amendment and say that your right, particularly if you're, a, if you're the descendant of a former slave, your right to equal protection under the law is not 
valid is, to quote Amy Coney Barrett, illegitimate. So this is what's going on. And this is, you know, and, and I'm, I'm guessing it's going to basically consume our show all day. You know, they'll be back and, and we'll be picking up the hearings and I'll be dropping in and offering commentary here through, in all probability, will be all, all of our show. It is Indigenous Peoples Day, formerly known as Columbus Day. But today is Indigenous Peoples Day, too. So uh, a tip of the hat to the people who are most often forgotten when we talk about minorities, people of color in the United States, people who are oppressed. The only people in this country against which a genocidal war was waged for 400 years and continues to be waged in many ways. You know, I think that we need to acknowledge that. And uh, I was disappointed that nobody acknowledged that in the Senate this morning. Or if they did, I might have missed it. I was in and out. But anyhow, I'll pick up your phone calls on this. And, uh, there, you know, there's a little other news to, to share with you. Donald Trump going to Sanford, Florida, the town where Trayvon Martin was murdered today. Only 40,000 people in Sanford. Why would he go there? Oh, yeah, Trayvon Martin. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Just like, why would he go to Tulsa on Juneteenth? Oh, yeah, the Tulsa massacre. Stephen Miller is still obviously running the Trump campaign. We'll be back. Tom Hartman here. Did you know that the Second Amendment was written to protect the slave patrols? in South Carolina and Georgia back in the day. It's in my new book, The Hidden History of Guns and the Second Amendment. Check it out. Thanks so much. Mike in Lomita, California, listening on KPFK. Hey, Mike, what's up? Hey, happy uh, Human Beings Day. I just was wondering if you ever have seen before television advertisements for Supreme Court nominees. I saw two. Yeah, we saw it during Kavanaugh's hearing. There's a group called, as I recall, the Judicial Crisis Network, and it is funded by right-wing billionaires and, you know, who want to get conservative judges on the court because they know that those conservative judges will rule against the rights of labor and against holding accountable CEOs for crimes that they commit. And they, they, you know, they they paid for uh, millions, tens of, I believe, tens of millions of dollars worth of ads to support Brett Kavanaugh. And they're now doing it for Barrett, Mike. It's the same group. Okay. Uh, Yeah, that was a first for me. I didn't realize they'd done that with Kavanaugh. I remember back in the 60s, they had uh, impeach Earl Warren billboards, but that was the first I'd seen on television. Yeah, that was, that was Fred Koch's uh, John Birch Society back in the 50s. Yeah. The impeachable Warren. And that was, you know, the result, obviously, of Brown versus Board of Education. What? You're going to say that my white kid has to go to school with a black kid? How dare you? We're going to impeach him. That was not just the subtext. That was the open text. They were very clear about that. You know, uh, you had a county in Maryland that shut down their schools for over a year. Virginia promoted all these all-white schools. You know, which is, in my mind, the genesis of Liberty University, Jerry Falwell's thing. But anyway, Mike, thanks yeah. for the call. That's the history. Morris in Long Beach, California. Hey, Morris, thank you for listening to KPFK. Hey, Professor, look, if I was a GOP, I'm shutting down this confirmation hearing right now. I'm shutting it down. The Democrats are on fire. 
you know, I never liked Amy Klobuchar, okay, but I'm digging the hell out of her right now. She can go ahead and be my yeah. attorney general. I mean, she's cutting like a butcher, cutting beef in a butcher store. And your boy Coon from Delaware, listen, they got to shut mm-hmm. this down. Miss Barrett, they're tying her in to getting rid of the Affordable Care Act. They're tying her into getting rid of Grove versus Wade. They're tying her into COVID negligence. They're tying her into the gentleman's agreement. There's a gentleman's agreement that these guys have. Not everything is written down. Like, we won't nominate any Supreme Court justices until, you know, after that's a gentleman's agreement, right? And they're tying her into Trump policies. And they're, they're also saying that the Republicans have their priorities wrong. They're trying to get through with this confirmation when there's so many other pressing things going on in the country. The Democrats are calling this a sham confirmation. Now, it reminds me that when they were impeaching Mr. Trump, they weren't this aggressive. But, boy, they're on fire right now. And if I'm telling you, if you have no background in politics, but you're watching this, Right. The way the Democrats keep repeating these things, an eighth year old could pick it up. And I'm looking at Miss Barrett's eyes as best that I can looking at things on my phone. I thought she was going to start crying after a while, you know, but uh, she didn't. She's a strong woman, kept her back up straight. But if I was a Republican, I'm shutting down this, these confirmation hearings because I ain't looking good. Thank you, sir. You know, Morris, I think you are absolutely right. And I always appreciate your calls because you're short, pithy, right to the point. You do it perfect. And you got it. You got it. And we'll see. I'm going to talk about the the quorum that's going to be necessary in just a second. Stick around. David Corton, the guy who wrote When Corporations Rule the World, David and I will be having a conversation, a webinar conversation on October 15th from 3.30 to 4.30 Eastern Time about my new book, The Hidden History of Monopolies, How Big Business Destroyed the American Dream. Check it out. I think you'll really enjoy the conversation we're going to have. More information is available at TomHartman.com and on our Facebook page. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Just a a couple of other comments on the politics of all this, you know, which I think are pretty important things to point out. Number one, Chuck Schumer has said that he is going to deny the Republicans a quorum. Now, the Judiciary Committee, in order to vote out Amy Coney Barrett's nomination to the full Senate, has to have a quorum. And if they're missing two members... And we haven't heard from Collins. I'm not sure if the senator from Alaska is on the committee or not. But in any case, the the Democrats, if there's even one or two members missing it. Now, Mike Lee has shown up. He's tested positive for coronavirus. He brought a doctor's slip saying, you know, I don't think I'm contagious. But in any case, there's a possibility that Schumer can actually, you know, that, that, that when it comes time for a vote, basically all the Democrats desert And if the Republicans are missing one or two senators, then, you know, maybe they can pull this off. Uh, We'll see. According to the Senate quorum rules for a Judiciary Committee, they can discuss business with seven members present. But in order to approve anything, they have to have nine, including at least two from the minority party, two Democrats. So this may just come to a, a full stop, at least with regard to this committee, when the vote time comes. Now, if that happens... Uh, at that point, Mitch McConnell is faced with two options. He can just ignore the Judiciary Committee and say, you know, for the first time in the history of the United States, we're going to put a candidate before the entire full Senate for a vote 
without a recommendation from the committee for the Supreme Court. Or he can say, you know, maybe we should just wait until after the election, like you know we've all talked about. <coughs> Excuse me. So we'll see. But you know, this is this is being reported. But you know, as I was saying earlier, you know, Obama <laughs> left. Trump says he left me 128 judges. No, uh, and and as I also pointed out, Amy Coney Barrett is sitting on the is sitting in the seat of not at this moment, but when she's in the Seventh Circuit, in the seat that was actually supposed to go to a brilliant black attorney, Myra Shelby, but Mitch McConnell blocked uh, the nomination, President Obama's nomination, just like he blocked Obama's nomination of Merrick Garland. What we are watching as a result of Trump and McConnell having gotten over 200 federal judges and two Supreme Court justices through the Senate, meaning that more than a quarter, almost a third of all federal judges right now have been packed into our court by Trump and McConnell. And virtually 100% of them have been straight white men. There have been a couple of straight white women, but that's, that's I, I think there might have been one, maybe two minorities out of, out of, out of, you know, out of hundreds I mean, this is court packing on a scale that is literally unprecedented. Refusing to hold hearings on a Supreme Court justice while you're blocking a president for two full years from putting people on, on, the, on the lower federal courts. This was so bad that John Roberts wrote an open letter to the Republican Party, to the Senate, and to the president, but you know, mostly to Mitch McConnell saying, you gotta, you got to give us some judges. We can't deal with this. Now, there is some history around this that we all need to know. In 1863, Abraham Lincoln was concerned that, you know, even, even though the Confederate legislators couldn't participate in Congress at that time because they had just declared war against the United States, the Confederate members of the Supreme Court, including Roger Taney, the Chief Justice, could. They didn't have to leave the Supreme Court. So Lincoln needed another anti-slavery vote on the Supreme Court. So he and the Republicans got together and they passed a law in 1863 to increase the size of the Supreme Court. It also increased the number of, uh, it was the Judiciary Act of 1863. It also increased the number of federal judges in general so that Lincoln could appoint them. So Lincoln packed the courts in 1863. Two years later, Lincoln is assassinated and Andrew Johnson, a slave-owning Democrat, becomes president. Congress meets and cuts the size of the court from 10, which is what Lincoln had taken it to, down to 6. Says, that's it. You can't do this anymore. So throughout his presidency, Andrew Johnson couldn't put anybody on the court. Then as soon as Johnson leaves office in whatever year it was, I think it was 1872, Ulysses S. Grant comes in. And or maybe it was 1868. Ulysses S. Grant comes in as president and says, "Okay, that's it. We're gonna we're gonna take the court up to nine, which is what they did, and it's stayed there ever since." But you know, there is a long history. I mean, this happened after the brutal uh, so-called Revolution of 1800 election, when uh, Jefferson increased the size of the court so he could put a new justice on it. During times of national crisis, changing the size and composition of the court by changing the number of justices has been done repeatedly by some of our most revered presidents, Jefferson and Lincoln. Court packing and unpacking has a long tradition in America. It's time to unpack 
the McConnell-Trump court packing You're scheme. listening to the Tom Hartman Program. And we do that by increasing the size of both the Supreme Court and the federal judiciary, just like Lincoln did in 1863. We'll be back. ...has been enormous. It would bankrupt almost every family in this country if they didn't have health insurance. I'm not special or unique. Serious illness can hit anyone unexpectedly. It did for me. And when it does, no one should have to worry about whether they can afford care that might save their life. The Affordable Care Act provided this peace of mind for so many people over the years who found themselves in positions similar to mine. Their lives and their health are what's at stake. Their lives are what's at stake with this nomination. And at moments like this, where the health care of millions is on the line, I think back to the care and concern so many of you showed me when I was diagnosed with cancer three and a half years ago. So many of you, including many of my Republican colleagues on this committee, wrote heartfelt notes wishing me well and letting me know you were thinking of me. And to this day, when the chairman of this committee and I find ourselves away from the cameras or sharing an elevator, he never hesitates to ask me about my health. About, he says, how are you doing? Mr. Chairman, you and I have had our pointed disagreements over the years, particularly during our time together on this committee. But your concern means a lot to me. Moments when we recognize our shared humanity are rare in Congress these days. But this can and should be one of those moments. This can be a moment, Mr. Chairman, for you and your Republican colleagues to show the American people terrified about losing their health care the same care and compassion you showed me and continue to show me when I was diagnosed with cancer. Instead of rushing to jam another ideologically driven nominee onto the Supreme Court in the middle of an election when over 9 million Americans have already voted, Mr. Chairman, let's end this hypocritical, illegitimate hearing, return to the urgent work we have before us to help those suffering during this pandemic. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, uh, Senator Rano. I think it's not just me. I think everybody on this committee and everybody that knows you knows you're passionate about your causes. We have a lot of political differences, but all of us are very encouraged to hear that you're, you're doing well and we'll keep praying for you, um, your asset to the Senate. I appreciate that. Thank you. Do the right thing. Okay. <laughs> Senator Ernst. Aloha. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes 
into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.com. Edu slash podcast. The hearings have resumed during our break. Uh, Senator Maisie Hirono of Hawaii was speaking, and she was talking again about how if this judge is put on the Supreme Court, the destruction of the Affordable Care Act, at least according to the writings of Judge Barrett, will be struck down. You know, what she has said in public, in writing, not to mention, you know, a woman's right to get an abortion and uh, perhaps a lot of other things. If she tries to strike down the 14th Amendment, and I'm guessing Clarence Thomas and Sam Alito are there with her. Right now, Joni Ernst is speaking, the Republican senator from Iowa, and I'm going to go to that for a minute or two just to give you a taste of how the Republicans have been dealing with this. I may, I may uh, you know, shout out to Sean and Nate to bring me back if it just gets too ab- absurd. Well, here's, this is Joni Ernst. Supreme Court Justice. And I'm glad the American people have the opportunity to get to know Amy Coney Barrett. This week will be an opportunity to dig into your background further and understand more about your judicial... So, uh, Joni, Joni Ernst is going on, and you know, this is the problem when Republicans... We saw the same thing during the impeachment hearings. The Republicans just, you know, they're just filling time, basically, because they're pretty sure they've got this thing in the bag, and the Democrats can, you know, yell and scream all they want. And one of the reasons why the Republicans are not so worried about you know, this hurting them electorally. Yeah, they're going to lose some senators in this in this election. But the fact of the matter is that because every state gets two senators 
And because Washington, D.C., which has more citizens than Vermont or Wyoming, has no senators, and because Puerto Rico has no senators, and it's got a population larger than probably a half a dozen of our states, there's a built-in Republican advantage to the Senate. And so they know, you know, in two years, four years, at the most six years, they'll be back in power in the Senate. All they need is a few hundred million dollars from, from you know, the Koch network and the, uh, the, all the right-wing billionaires and, uh, you know, a little help from Mark Zuckerberg on Facebook, and they'll be there. So they're, they're really in a, yeah, you know, we may lose this battle, but we're not going to lose the war. Mitch McConnell might even lose his election. He's not all that worried. He'll be back. Not necessarily in the same role. After all, he's 78 years old, too. But, but the, 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 the spirit of Mitch McConnell will be back. This is what Amy Klobuchar had to say at the opening of the hearing. And we'll have a Democrat speaking again in about two minutes, three minutes here. We'll, we'll flip back to that. Amy Klobuchar, who is on the Judiciary Committee, this was before the lunch break, before our program came on the air. She said, this hearing is a sham. I think it shows real messed up priorities from the Republican Party. But I'm here to do my job and to tell the truth to all Americans. We don't have some clever procedural way to stop this sham, to stop them from rushing through a nominee. And that was the point I made earlier. Schumer's already said he's going to try and deny them a quorum. I don't think it's going to work. He doesn't think it's going to work. She doesn't think it's going to work. We'll see. You know, but, you know, they're going to do everything they can. Anyhow, Amy Klobuchar continued, with one stroke of a pen, one judge can decide if millions of Americans lose their insurance. One judge can decide if millions of Americans lose their right to keep their kids on their insurance until they're 26 years old. This isn't Donald Trump's country. It is yours. She's speaking to the American people, Amy Klobuchar. She said, this isn't Donald Trump's judge. It is yours. What we are watching here in real time is something called minority rule. And minority rule is fundamentally anti-democratic. And to a certain extent, minority rule was built into our Constitution at the founding of the Republic because the, the majority of white people in this country, I was going to say the majority of people, but let's, let's just consider the people who were voting, first off, at the founding of the Republic. The majority of white people in this country opposed slavery. But the South wanted to have representation that included not only their white people, but also the people that they had enslaved, the African-Americans that they had enslaved. And so we got the three-fifths compromise, and we got each state having two senators, and, you know, here we are. And we got the Electoral College. And so, therefore, we have not had a president initially elected, a Republican president initially elected by a majority of the voters since 1988. That was the last time. And yet we've had two Republican presidents since then. Well, three, including George Herbert Walker Bush. He was the last one elected that way. And the Senate represents, and the Republicans in the Senate represent about 40 million fewer people than the Democrats in the Senate do. And yet they control the Senate. So this minority rule dynamic has been used by the Republican Party for the better part of 40 years. Oh, Cory Booker is going to be speaking. Was, Here we go. Americans Here's Cory Booker. He could not afford it. But when the Affordable Care Act was passed, he finally got the coverage he could afford. Four years ago, after not feeling well, Merritt made the doctor's appointment and was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, a disease that affects over 10% of Americans 
and disproportionately impacts black Americans like Merritt, who are 60% more likely to be diagnosed with diabetes and twice as likely to die from it. Today, Merritt takes insulin and other medications, and his condition has thankfully improved. Merritt said, and I quote, Obamacare made it so I was, was not afraid of the costs of going to the doctor. If I didn't have insurance and didn't get a diagnose, diagnosed, who knows where I would be right now. But Merritt is worried about what will happen if the Affordable Care Act gets overturned. He said, and I quote, now I have a pre-existing condition. My insurance covers my medications, my equipment to monitor my diabetes. If that's taken away from me, what's going to happen? I can't afford those on my own. Michelle Luris from Palisades Park, New Jersey, lost her husband John last year when he passed away suddenly at the age of 58. Michelle relied on health insurance through John's job, but when he died, their insurance went away. She was given the option to continue his plan, but she couldn't afford the cost of $800 a month. So Michelle signed up this for coverage Senator on Corey the insurance Burkett. marketplace, where she qualified for a subsidy that made it more affordable. Today, she's insured and she can manage her diabetes, heart disease, and an autoimmune disease because of her coverage. Like Merritt, Michelle also relies on insulin and other prescription medications. If the ACA was overturned, Michelle said, quote, I could lose my house if I didn't have affordable health care. I would to have to Hartman. sell my Visit home. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. We're going to hit a, a short break here. We'll be back. Like Senator Mary Cory Booker is speaking right now. Hang on. President Trump has told America he would end the ACA. He promised explicitly that he would only nominate judges that would do the right thing and eliminate the Affordable Care Act. People like Merritt and Michelle know what a future without the ACA looks like. It looks like 130 million Americans with pre-existing conditions, from cancer survivors to people with disabilities being charged more or denied coverage completely. It looks like 20 million Americans losing their access to potentially life-saving care in the middle of a pandemic that's already killed over 214,000 Americans. In New Jersey, we've lost six, over 16,000 people to COVID-19. 595,000 people would lose their coverage without the ACA. For millions of Americans, a future Without the ACA, it looks like being forced to sell your house if you can't afford your health care. It looks like not having access to a doctor when you're sick. It looks like having to choose between paying for groceries and paying for medicine. And people are scared right now for another reason, because they know what a future without the protections of Roe v. Wade looks like, because President Trump has explicitly stated that he would only put up Supreme Court nominees that would overturn Roe v. Wade. He said it clearly, we should believe him. And that, without Roe v. Wade, our country looks like people being denied the ability to make decisions about their own bodies. Not just while they're pregnant, but being stripped of the right to plan for their futures. It looks like women of color low-income women and women living in rural areas who can't just pack up and leave if abortion is restricted or criminalized where they live, 
It looks like them being left with no options. It looks like state laws proliferating throughout our country that seek to control and criminalize women. It looks like the government interfering with women making the most personal medical decisions. It looks like a country in which states may write laws that could subject women who have miscarriages to investigations to ensure they didn't have abortions. In America today, people are scared. You've heard from my colleagues. We are getting calls to our office where people are afraid. More than 214,000 Americans have died, many of them isolated and alone, away from friends and families. Tens of millions of jobs have been lost. One in three American families with children aren't getting enough food to eat. More than 100,000 small businesses have closed permanently. Lines at food banks in the wealthiest nation on the planet have stretched for miles. We could be as the Senate, we should be as the Senate, working in a bipartisan way to try to get this virus under control, to get relief to people who are hurting, who are struggling, who are afraid, to help people who are unemployed, to let doctors and nurses and hospital staffs putting their lives on the line right now in state after state where COVID is rising, know that we have their backs in a pandemic. But instead of doing anything to help people who are struggling right now, we are here. We're here. I'm, I'm so glad, I'm really glad that my colleagues who contracted COVID-19 at the Rose Garden Super Spreader event for Judge Barrett had access to the care that you and your families needed. That is right. This is a blessing. The problem is the people who will come through here today to wipe down the desks and empty the garbage, that will vacuum the floor like people all over our country who are working today in factories, teaching children in schools. They don't have direct line to the nation's top health experts. They can't show up to work sick, and they might not have space to distance themselves at home to protect their families. We literally stopped the Senate from functioning with the exception of this hearing. That's why we're here. We're not just 22 days from an election. We're in the middle of an ongoing election when millions of people have already started voting because Donald Trump and most of my Senate Republican colleagues know the truth. They won't be able to get away with this after the American people have spoken in this election. Donald Trump and my Senate Republican colleagues in this room today know that the American people don't want the ACA overturned. They don't trust the American people, which is so painful because that's what they said. They said we should trust the American people and what the American people say under President Obama 269 days from an election. And then after that election, they tried time and time again to overturn the Affordable Care Act, but a handful of Republicans stopped them. You see, they tried in the Senate, they tried in the House, over 70 attempts to rip down the Affordable Care Act, but now Donald Trump has said explicitly he's gonna do it through the courts by making the nomination we see here today. That's why we are here. The American people should know that that is what this is all about. 
rushing this nomination through to sit a Supreme Court justice in time to hear a case before the Supreme Court that will end the Affordable Care Act. We're here because in the middle of a deadly pandemic, in the middle of an ongoing election, Senate Republicans have found a nominee in Judge Barrett who they know will do what they couldn't do, subvert the will of the American people and overturn the ACA and overturn Roe v. Wade. That's what this is about. That's why we're here. It's very simple. Senate Republicans know the American people don't want this, but they don't care because they have only one small window of opportunity to work the system, betray what the American people want. And so they're desperately rushing to complete this process before America starts voting, but they don't have to do this. If one of my colleagues will stand up on this committee, we can hold this over until after an election. If two of my colleagues on the Senate floor agree with their other two colleagues, Republicans, we can stop this. Otherwise, this is a charade when they say this is a normal Judiciary Committee hearing for a Supreme Court nomination. There is nothing about this that's normal. It's not normal that Senate Republicans are rushing through a confirmation hearing, violating their own words, their own statements, betraying the trust of the American people and their colleagues, and failing to take in this hearing, even the most basic safety protections to protect people around them, all to ensure that tens of millions of people will lose their health care when we're seven months into one of the worst public health crises in the history of our country. It's not normal. This is not normal that millions of Americans like Michelle and Merritt are, are just scared of a deadly virus. They're scared of their fellow Americans who are sitting in this room right now. They're scared that their government and their institutions will be manipulated by people who could not work through the democratic process to take away their health care and are trying an end run to achieve that. Nothing about this today is normal. This is not normal. What is going on in America today in the midst of a deadly pandemic and an ongoing election, having a rushed Supreme Court nomination hearing is not normal and we cannot normalize it. People are voting right now. The American people should decide. The American people should decide. The American people should decide. I will not be voting to confirm Judge Barrett's nomination. Thank you, Senator Crapo. Mr. I would like to submit a letter for the record, if I may. We should not be rushing, as I said, this process. Uh, my colleagues agree with me that we should be working to protect the health and safety of Americans across the country and taking the precautions, greater precautions in this workplace. I'd like to enter into the record a letter from Senators Leahy, Senator Harris, and myself that we sent to the chairman last week asking that these hearings not proceed without proper testing measures, without all of us being tested and a COVID safety protocol being put into place. Thank you. Without objection. Senator Crapo. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And Judge Barrett, welcome. So here we now go to Mike Crapo. Uh, another Republican. Let's just catch the, the beginning of what he has to say. To We're going to hit a break here in a few minutes. That had been made, both on Republican members of the committee and on you. I think it's important to just set the record straight. Oh, on a few items when Democrats attack Republicans, they're attacking you. you and your qualifications to serve as a justice. Oh. It means Amy Coney. So what were the attacks? Uh, I'd say the first one is that we're rushing too fast. 
we are uh, violating yes, the you rules are. and norms and precedents of the Senate and speeding into yes, these are. proceedings. Uh, what are the facts? Without COVID testing. Well, I had my staff check while we were sitting here. Uh, this, this hearing is 16 days after Judge Barrett's announced nomination. More than half of all Supreme Court hearings have been held within 16 days of the announcement of the nominee. This case is no different. A couple of examples. Justice Stevens, 10 days. It's the announcement of the nominee that's days. the uh, magic Powell, catchphrase 13 there. 13 days. <laughs> it's, Justice it's Blackman, like, 15 days. Oh Justice Berger, 13 days. These proceedings are following right along in the same kind of process that has historically been the process of the Senate. So then the argument is made that, well, this is an election year, and the Republicans said uh, back in 2016. And the Republicans the stole the last nominee, Merrick Garland. And Obama's so, nomination. you know, inst instead of Democrats saying we should wait for the election to decide because the American people should decide, the Democrats just need to be saying straight up, we're not trying to establish a precedent here. McConnell's thing wasn't a legitimate precedent. We're simply saying that. You know, if a president not, you know, if a president nominates someone, they should have that nominee. You stole it from Obama. We're stealing this from you. Full stop. We'll be back. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. If you're put on the United States Supreme Court, you will be on a mission from God to deny health care coverage for pre-existing con uh, conditions for every American. I know that seems preposterous to you, and it seems that way because it is. Take comfort in the fact that the American people, some of my colleagues disagree with the state. They believe in government. This is uh, Senator I John Kennedy of Louisiana lavishing praise on Amy Coney Barrett. I, I would point you, by the way, there's a fascinating piece up on the New York Times right now by Christopher Leonard uh, titled Charles Koch's Big Bet on Barrett. Now, you know, the, the Judicial Crisis Network came out with millions of ads for Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> Senator Kennedy was just uh, John Kennedy of Louisiana was a Republican of Louisiana, was just saying, oh, that was a circus, it was a disaster. Uh, yeah, because Brett Kavanaugh melted down because he kept yelling that he wanted a beer or how much he loved beer or something like that. Um, I doubt that Amy Coney Barrett is going to be yelling about how much she likes beer. Um, she may be yelling about how much she loves states' rights, but not beer. But Charles Koch was you know, supporting that nomination. And now he's aggressively, according to this piece in the New York Times by Christopher Leonard, 
he and his network of right-wing billionaires are aggressively supporting Amy Coney Barrett's nomination because they believe that the things that they couldn't get done legislatively, specifically, Charles Koch doesn't give a rat's ass about abortion or religion. It's all about the power of corporations and the billionaires who become billionaires through their corporations like Charles Koch. The simple fact of the matter is there is only one power on earth that can restrain a corporation when it decides that it's going to poison the air that you breathe or poison the water that you drink or, or uh, you know, screw you uh, financially with regard to your bank loans or the products that you're buying or, or put you in a car that's going to kill you because it's poorly designed. There's only one power on earth that can prevent that from happening, that can restrain multi-billion dollar corporate behavior. And that one power on earth that can do it is government. And Charles Koch has been on a crusade against government for 50 years. His brother David ran for vice president in 1980 on the Libertarian Party on a platform of ending the EPA, ending the IRS, ending all public education in the United States. He said there needs to be a wall of separation between education and government, or words to that effect. Uh, it just, and, and, and they're at it again, and this nomination is another piece of, of the billionaires who own the Republican Party. There's a, there's a reason why all these Republicans are willing to uh, defy public opinion, take a risk on COVID, all these other things, is they know that if Charles Koch turns his back on them, if the right-wing billionaires turn their backs on these guys, they don't have any chance of getting reelected. Their constituents aren't people like you and me. Their constituents are the billionaires who fund their campaigns. And they're pouring money like there's no tomorrow into Maine and Alaska and Colorado. I mean, right now, the right-wing billionaires are doing everything they can to keep the Senate in Republican hands at the same time that through Americans for Freedom, or Americans for Prosperity, rather, uh, Freedom Works and some of these other groups, they are, they are doing everything they can to make sure that Amy Coney Barrett ends up with a lifetime appointment, a six to three majority, conservative, pro-corporate, anti-labor, anti-consumer, anti-average American, pro-fat cat summary, or, or majority, excuse me, on the Supreme Court. That's what this is all about. And, you know, we, we need to be very clear about this. John Kennedy sounds aw, oh, aw shucks and folksy. You know, he's a stooge for the oil refineries down in Louisiana. You got Cancer Alley in Louisiana where people, mostly African-Americans, who live downwind from these, from these refining facilities, some of which are owned by Charles Koch's company, are poisoning people. And so, you know, John Cornyn in Texas, the refineries are in Texas, the wind blows down to Louisiana. Oh, some of them are in Louisiana, I don't know if Coke owns any of them. But, you know, you got John Cornyn in Texas, he got called out this morning by Sheldon Whitehouse in these hearings as, you know, you're just, you just wanted to destroy the Affordable Care Act, which he does. Keep in mind, Charles Koch gets a tax break if the Affordable Care Act goes away. If you make over $3 million a year, you're going to get like a, a $400,000 tax break. It's going to be hundreds of thousands. It's going to depend on your income. But you're going to get a giant tax break. Big Pharma is going to get a $3 billion tax break if 
Amy Barrett votes against on the Supreme Court, you know, in this case that's going to be literally heard a week after the election, four weeks from now, before the Supreme Court, about whether or not to destroy Obamacare and destroy your protection against pre-existing conditions. Trump is hysterical about this. He's listening to what the Democrats are saying, and he's tweeting in all caps, I'm going to give you a better plan. I'm going to give you better protections against pre-existing conditions. It'll be cheaper. It'll be wonderful. He's had four years to do this. He's done absolutely nothing. He and the Republicans have had a decade, a full decade, Obamacare has been in place to literally just write down an alternative. They have not yet done it because they don't believe in an alternative. They think we should go back to the way it is, the so-called free market. Let the health insurance companies screw You're us. listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Republican Senator Kennedy will be wrapping up in just a moment. Uh, we, will, we will go back to the coverage, and then we'll be getting back to a Democrat if you want to stick with Tom Hartman here. Did you know that Chief Justice John Roberts, back when he worked for Ronald Reagan, came up with a way that Congress and the White House could get around the Supreme Court? Specifically, they were trying to blow up uh, Roe v. Wade and Brown versus Board. But it could be used by Democrats right now. It's fascinating. It's in my new book, The Hidden History of the Supreme Court and the Betrayal of America. Check it out. Thanks so much. On that note, We're back. Marsha Blackburn, you know, the Republican from Tennessee, is doing a rant about how uh, this, that, and the other thing, you know, how wonderful Barrett is and all this. Charles Koch has doubled down on the Barrett confirmation. The New York Times has a great piece on this, Charles Koch's big bet on Barrett. But there's also a rather shocking uh, piece of news out of California. We don't know if this is the only state where this is going on, but in California, ballot drop boxes are popping up all over the state. They say literally on them, official ballot drop box, and people are driving up to them and dropping off their ballots. They are not official ballot drop boxes. They are phony ballot drop boxes being put in largely Democratic districts by Republican operatives. This may be against the law. We're not absolutely certain. I mean, there may not be a specific law against this. But this is what's going on. Official ballot drop box is what the signs say. And uh, according to the Secretary of State, Alex Padilla of California, he says this is a violation of state law. Felony conviction carrying a prison sentence of two to four years could be the result of this kind of behavior. The Fresno County Republican Party on its website actually lists the apparently illegal drop boxes and is promoting them on social media. In Georgia, the lines, I mean, there's a line to vote in Georgia. Today is the first day for early voting, I believe, in Georgia. There's a line to vote that looks like it's a half a mile long. Of course, it's in a black neighborhood. You know, speaking as a relatively affluent white guy, not rich, but, you know, certainly middle class and upper middle class white guy, I have never in my life had to wait more than 15 minutes to vote. Never. And just look at these pictures of African-Americans standing in line for hours, maybe for the whole day, to vote in Georgia. This is Republican voter suppression. This is the kind of stuff that Marsha Blackburn and every single Republican on this panel supports. Voter suppression, right-wing judges, knocking down the rights of working people, eliminating union rights, which the, the court has been working on you know, pretty aggressively. I write about this in my book, The, Un, uh, the Hidden History of, of the Supreme Court, The Betrayal of America. 
Republicans have been working on this since the 1930s, since 1935, when the National Labor Relations Act was passed. You know, trying to destroy that. They're trying to destroy the Affordable Care Act. Uh, they're, you know, and, and, and acting all righteous about it. John Cornyn, Marsha Blackburn, all these others. Cory Gardner, you know, trying to destroy the Affordable Care Act. Uh, Mitch McConnell working to destroy the Affordable Care Act. Every single one of the Joni Ernst wanting to destroy the Affordable Care Act. Every single one of them. Let's go back to Marsha Blackburn, the uh, Republican from Tennessee, continuing uh, to provide a, uh, a, you know, a nice friendly massage to Judge Barrett. And over the next few days, I expect that you, Judge Barrett, will explain why. So many families are watching today, and we're all going to be listening. Thank you for appearing before us. We look forward to your answers. So that was was Marshall Blackburn. Uh, Uh, She's, uh, Lindsey Graham is going to submit a couple of letters to the, uh, uh, you know, for the record, uh, saying that we comply with the CDC. Well, the the CDC rules have been watered down by the Trump administration. Um, yeah, I mean, the Democrats are saying that these, these hearings should not proceed unless everybody in this room has a, has a COVID test, or at least every senator in this room has a COVID test. Mike Lee is COVID positive and Lindsey Graham, we don't know. And they're both refusing to get a COVID test, so much so that Lindsey Graham blew up his debate with Jamie Harrison a couple days ago because he refused to get tested. Because if he was tested, he wouldn't be able to be in this hearing. And if he couldn't be in this hearing, they couldn't ram through Judge Barrett in time to be the deciding vote to put Donald Trump in the White House again, to be the deciding vote to end Obamacare and your protections against pre-existing conditions, to be the deciding vote to end labor, labor union rights in the United States, to be the decide. You know, it just goes on and on and on. All, you know, their agenda is rather long. And that is what is going on. And... Lindsey Graham, I was tested a week ago Friday. I had brief contact with Senator Lee. I was negative. I was told by Senator Monahan and a physician, uh, everything's good. Uh, there's no requirement to test me. I feel fine. Right. Lindsey Graham is trying to do this little dance right now. Like, you know, he's afraid of having a swab stuck up his nose. That's not what it's about. He's afraid of testing positive. Keep in mind about half of all people who test positive don't have symptoms. Right. But they can still be contagious. He could be blowing virus all over the room. And he's got a bunch of his colleagues, including Dianne Feinstein, who's uh, 87 years old, I believe. I mean, talk about high risk. Who are saying, hey, wait a minute. Shouldn't we know if you're contagious? Shouldn't we know if you're typhoid Mary here, if you're spreading the disease around? Mike in Albuquerque. Hey, Mike, what's up? It just hit me today that the originalism and uh, textualism, is, those arguments are really a trick because they're not logically valid because you can neither affirm them nor refute them. And if somebody can't be either affirmed or both not affirmed and not refuted, it's not valid because they're all dead. You could not introduce their arguments into court because, uh, as a witness because they're not alive. Yeah. Originalism and most of the world's revealed religions, the religions where at some point somebody said, I have been told that I'm the one who knows and blah, 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 blah. 
share a common thing, and that is that in both cases, the modern proponents of them, whether it's you know preachers, but they're both saying, I know what was said long ago by people who are now long dead, and I'm going to be making all my decisions based on my personal knowledge of what they said, my belief in what they said. And I think that that's one yeah. of the reasons why originalism actually flies with mostly fundamentalist Christians is because, you know, it's, it's like, you know, okay, I know what Jesus said. Jesus said, you should put children in cages. Um, you know, that's the Christian thing to do if they try to cross a border. Um, you know, it's like gay people shouldn't get married. Didn't Jesus say that? Didn't Jesus oppose abortion? In fact, Jesus, you know, said none of those things. But you'll find Christians who are saying those things are saying that they would be they, they would comport with Jesus's worldview uh, because, you know, hey, you know, we know what he was thinking. And originalism is just another way of saying, yeah, we know what, you know, Jefferson and Madison and Hamilton and all those guys were thinking. Um, it's crazy. It's crazy. Mike, thanks for the call. Maureen in Geneva, Illinois. Hey, Maureen, what's up? Uh, yes. Well, I'm sick and tired of seeing all these Catholics on the Supreme Court. Uh, I like to have a few healthy atheists like myself up there and get rid of these Catholics. If she wants to run for something, why doesn't she run for Pope? Uh, we don't need to have... Well, uh, Maureen, number one, you can't run for Pope. Number two, she's a woman. You, women can't be Popes. And number three... Oh, sure, uh, you know, sure, sure. I, well, you know, Jan, John that. Kennedy was a Catholic, too. It's not Catholic, It's not being Catholic that's the problem, although you're, you're you know, we're going to have, what, seven, seven Catholics and two Jews on the court, not a single Protestant, um, and not well, a single not atheist, a, as you correctly point Muslim, out. But let's not turn this Muslim. into a screed against a religion. Let's point out that there is in Catholicism, you know, first of all, you've got the, the entire church has this doctrine against abortion. But within that, you've got these right wing groups like Amy Coney Barrett is a member of and and they are promoting a worldview which is inconsistent with modern American values, frankly. So go ahead, Maureen. But this we're going to bash somebody because they happen to be Catholic. I think that's very dangerous. Well, I'm bashing everybody that uh, wants to believe that there's a God in the first place. We have one life okay. and one life only, and this is it. And you have to do it up right now, because there will be no other heaven or hell. But or we want to daydream or fantasize about the possibility of a heaven. Maureen, I, you know, I get what you're saying, and thank you, and I would love to see some atheists on the court. You know, uh, Thomas Paine was a famous atheist. He wrote a book about her, agnostic anyway, called The Rights of Man, and it got him vilified. I mean, only five people showed up for his funeral as a result of that. So it's not surprising, but we do need some balance. I, you know, I'm with Ron Reagan. We need freedom from religion. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.